Okay, this morning's scripture reading is going to be from Genesis 15, 1 to 11, and 17 to 21. And then on chapter 17, 1 to 5, and 9 to 10. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans, to give you this land, to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the wadi of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Kadamites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. And then over to Genesis 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram, but your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Let's pray for Robin. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to meet together again and to be in this beautiful space on this beautiful morning. And we ask that you would just Fill Robin afresh with your spirit that he might be able to uh, preach this message to us. And Lord, that you would help us to be able to hear what it is that you want us to hear from this message. Lord, we ask that you would be glorified in all that's said and in all of our thoughts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
The world runs on promises. Think about it. Every contract is a promise. Your, your rental contract is a promise that you will pay your rent every month in exchange for being allowed to stay in your, in your apartment. When you buy something online, you trust that the seller will keep his promise to deliver it to your front door within five to seven days. Even our money is really just a promise. It's not actually tied to any kind of like standard anymore. British money, in fact, actually has the words on it, I promise to pay the bearer the sum of five pounds or ten pounds or whatever. A number of years ago, I was reading a book by Francis Fukuyama called Trust, the Social Virtues and the Creation of Prosperity. In it, he argues that healthy economies run on trust. If people don't trust each other, there has to be a whole lot more, a whole other layer of bureaucracy and paperwork needed to make up the gap. One of the things that I discovered coming to Turkey is that everything has to go to a notaire and be signed off by a notaire. Otherwise, it's not, you know, it's not, it's not solid, it's not real. Because promises only work if you trust the person making the promise, right? And not all promises are created equal. Some promises are really cheap, like the ones that are made by politicians when they want to get elected. Other promises can be costly, like the ones that couples make when they, the promises they make to each other in their wedding vows, to serve and be faithful to each other, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, till death us do part. I've done that a couple of times recently. In the, during, the, um, during the lockdown, I actually had the privilege of doing two weddings, um, which was not what I was expecting at all, but there you go. And it was a wonderful thing to see people make promises that have such a huge impact upon their lives. Those are costly promises that those people made. So this is the second message in the series called The Promises of God. And we're talking about especially the ones which are identified as covenants. So last week we talked about God's covenant with Noah. And I said that the story of redemption in the Bible doesn't actually start until Genesis 12. And when it starts in Genesis 12, it starts with a promise. In Genesis 12, 1 to 3, God, the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And here comes a promise. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham leaves Ur, and he goes to Canaan. He trusts God to keep his promise. Specifically, he trusts God to keep the first line of that promise, which is, I will make you a great nation. Because very little of the rest of the promise can actually come true unless that first line comes true. And so over the next few years, God expands on that first line of promise to make Abraham into a great nation. Genesis 12, 6 and 7. 
says, Abram traveled throughout the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. So two things you definitely need to be be a nation of any sort, great or small, is people and the land. And there are any number of large people groups in the world today who long for a land of their own, but politics and history are against them. And they have an identity as a people, but they don't have a land. So God promises Abraham's offspring, his children, and land. Then Abraham goes down to Egypt, which doesn't turn out that well. Um, After that, he goes back to Canaan, where he and Lot part ways. Lot goes east into the Jordan Valley, and Abraham goes west into Canaan. And again, God reiterates his promise, Genesis 13, 14 and 17, 14 to 17. The Lord said to Abraham after Lot had parted from him, Look around from where you are, to the north and the south, to the east and the west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. I can be a bit absent-minded at times. Unfortunately, that means that sometimes, maybe often, I don't know, I'll say sometimes, Marilyn might say often, um, Marilyn will ask me to do something, and I'll say, sure, just let me finish what I'm doing right now, and I'll get to it. But by, by, by the time I finish what I'm, do, I'm doing, I've actually forgotten what it was I was going to say, I, was going, I said I was going to do, and so I go on to start something else. So it's just to remind me, come and, come and remind me of my promise again. Now, I'm not proud of any of this, but I am just being honest, Okay. So understandably, Marilyn can be a little frustrated with her husband from time to time. I usually get around to doing what she asked. It might take longer than she hoped, but I usually get to it the same day, if not the same week. Usually. Abraham had to wait wait years for God to keep his promise. Think about that for a moment. How long would you be willing for someone to wait for someone to keep their promise to you? A week? A month? A year? 10 years? 25 years? Now, to some extent, it depends on the nature of a promise, doesn't it? But Abraham was already 75 years old when God gave him the promise of children a land. So I'm sure he was expecting something to happen relatively quickly, but nothing. Now we don't have a clear timeline for how long Abram was in Canaan before he went to Egypt and came back. But we do know that by chapter 16, Abram is 86, 11 years after the original promise. So he lived for a while in Canaan, went to Egypt, came back, separated from Lot, went to live in Canaan again, and still nothing. Eleven years. Nothing. 
So I think you can see why God's first words to Abraham in chapter 15 are, Don't be afraid, Abraham. Clearly, he was afraid that God had reneged on his promise. And in because in response to God's words, I am your very great reward, Abraham, Abraham says, perhaps with just a touch of bitterness, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. What can you give me? That's a little ungrateful. I mean, the reason why Abram and Lot had to separate was because God had blessed them both so, with so much livestock that they couldn't graze their, their flocks and, and herds on the same land. And then when Abram went to rescue Lot, he had more than 300 armed men at his command. So he wasn't doing too badly. He was wealthy. He was powerful. But he had no children. And in that culture, nothing can make up for the shame of being childless. And that's what Abram says to God. What can you give me since I remain childless? None of this counts for anything if I can't pass it on to someone. You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. And the implication is that God has reneged on his promise. That far from becoming a great nation, Abram's name and family line would die with him. So God re responds with a re repetition of the promise. And every time God reiterates his promise, it gets more detailed. What started off as a general, I will make you a great nation, is now... This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to them, So shall your offspring be. And verse 6 says, Abram believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. And we'll come back to that in a minute. So God has addressed Abram's fear about not having any children. But there's still the matter of the land. In verse 7, God says, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land and to take possession of it. And Abram's response, understandably, is, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will take, gain possession of it? And of course, it isn't actually Abram himself who will take possession of it. He won't take possession of it. It will be his great-great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren that will take possession of it. So unlike the promise of a child, which Abraham would, would eventually see for himself, the fulfillment of this promise is often a far distant future. So God seals the promise with a covenant, a solemn oath. And in the process, we see the most detailed description of where the idea of a covenant comes from. The word for covenant in Hebrew is berit, and it comes from the word to cut. So in verse 18, where it says, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, 
It literally reads, on that day, the Lord cut covenant with Abram. So Abram had asked essentially, how do I know you'll keep your promise? And God's response is to bring a heifer, a goat and stuff, and cut them in half and lay them out on the ground. So what's with this thing about cutting animals in half? This is a very ancient way of sealing a promise. And there's similar kinds of rituals in the societies around Israel at the time. Essentially, the partners to a covenant invoke a curse upon themselves. They cut animals in two, then walk between them while saying something like, may I die in the same way as these animals if I break my promise to you. And verse 17 says, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. This is actually a really profound passage in scripture because the smoking firepot and the blazing torch symbolize God. It's God is walking between the, 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 the pieces. And God walks between the pieces, the halves of the animals, and by doing that, he invokes a curse upon himself. Abraham doesn't walk between the animals, just God. And God invokes a curse upon himself. May I die in the same way as these animals if I break my promise to you. You can't get much more serious than that when it comes to guaranteeing a promise. May I die in the same way as these animals if I break my promise to you. Of course, God can't die. But that's the point. He can't lie either. He will absolutely keep his promise of providing descendants and land that Abraham's descendants might become a great nation and be blessed and be a blessing to the nations. And even though, here's, a, here's, here's, the, here's the other thing, even though God never broke his promise, he will eventually take that curse upon himself in the person of Jesus as he goes to the cross to set us free. So just to make it clear, in verse 18, the narrator says, On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, To your descendants I give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, and all the other rites. So the original promise to make Abraham in a great nation is clarified even more. It will be Abraham's descendants who get the land, and we actually have a geographical description of it from the Wadi of Egypt to the Euphrates. Mind you, it'll be a thousand years before that promise comes true. And even then, it's only for a couple of generations. So I want to pause here and just look back over this process. Over a period of about 10 years, God has spoken to Abram four times. Each time the promise becomes clearer and clearer, so that by the time we get to the end of chapter 15, I will make you a great nation has become, I will give you a son coming from your own body, and I will give your descendants all the land from the Wadi of Egypt to the Euphrates. So has the Lord been speaking to you about something? Do you have a promise that you believe the Lord has given you? 
Have you been struggling with how long it is taking that promise, that vision, that calling to come to fruition? It was a Tuesday evening in February 1981 in Amsterdam. An evangelist by the name of Mike Wolvern was speaking at the Samaritan's Inn. That was the urban ministry center across from Central Station where Marilyn and I lived and worked along with about 100 other people. We weren't married yet. That would happen in June. Mike had had a really fruitful ministry in India doing these huge mass evangelism campaigns. But that evening... He was focusing on a trip he had made to the Maldives and the fact that in the Maldives there were no known Christians in the whole country. And as he spoke, I knew that God was calling me to serve in this part of the world amongst these kinds of people. So I was running sound that evening and Merle and I were on opposite sides of the room. So it was with some trepidation that after the service I went and told her why I believed the Lord had spoken to me. And it was really encouraging to discover that the Lord has spoken to her that evening as well, exactly the same thing. So over the following years, the, the focus clarified. It wasn't the Maldives, it was Pakistan. And then more, more precisely, Pakistan working with Afghan refugees in Peshawar. It was eight and a half years later that we actually landed in Peshawar. Were there times when, like Abram, we wondered if we'd heard the Lord right? Absolutely. Although probably more for me than for Marilyn. Were there blind alleys that we followed, only to find that, no, that wasn't the way the Lord was calling us to go? Yes. And so I understand when Abram decides to follow Sarai's lead and do something that was perfectly acceptable in that culture, take a concubine, so you can have a son, because after all, God had said a son coming from your own body. He hadn't said anything about who the mother would be. That happens in chapter 16. Abram goes on his merry way. I'm sure thinking everything's fine now. He has a son. So it must have become something of a shock. 13 years later, when God speaks to him again and clarifies the promise even more and restates the covenant. And he makes it clear it has nothing to do, it isn't, so it isn't about Ishmael. So this is in chapter 17 now. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Is it just me or is there something of a rebuke in that passage? I mean, Abraham's relationship with God is based on grace and accepted on faith. That's what we talked about in chapter 15, verse 6. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. As Paul explains in Romans, that's all, all that's required for salvation is to trust God. But the other side of that coin is that faith is expressed in obedience. If Abraham had never left Ur of the Chaldeans, none of us would be sitting here this morning. One act of obedience. Obedience counts too. And Abram had taken things into his own hand, things into his own hands with the whole Ishmael episode. And God is reminding him about who makes decisions in this relationship. Abram fell down, face down 
And God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. And he restates the commitment to give him a son. Then verse 8, he restates the commitment to give a land. The whole land of Canaan, where you are now reside as a foreigner, I will give to you as a possession. And then he re-emphasizes the importance of obedience. He says, God says to Abram, as for you, he says, as for me, this is what I'm going to do. He says to Abram, as for you, you must keep my covenant. You and your descendants after you for the generations to come. But the, the requirement at this point isn't onerous. It just says, every male among you shall be circumcised. Now, not surprisingly, the word for circumcision also comes from a word to cut, actually to cut off. It's a different root from the one that gives us cutting covenant. Some scholars think this is the human side of that covenant that we saw in chapters, chapter 15. It says, when the foreskin is cut off, the implicit significance of the ritual is it indicates that if this child breaks a covenant, he will be cut off from God and the community and thrown away. So God cuts covenant with Abraham and takes a curse upon himself in chapter 15. And in response, Abraham's children will be marked as belonging to the covenant people by cutting, by circumcision. All that, and it's still another year until Isaac is born. It's 25 years, and it's still another year until Isaac is born. We're not going to talk about that this morning. So what can we learn about this story? One thing we can learn is that God's timetable is not ours. He works to a different timetable from us. It took 25 years for God's promise of a son to come true and a thousand years for the promise of the land of the land to come true. Personally, I don't know if I could wait that long. But Abram did. Waited 25 years to see a son. And because he trusted God to keep his promise, because as Chapter 15, verse 6 says, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. We are here today, standing in the same kind of faith, the same kind of trust that he put in God. And we also trust Jesus' promise to return and set everything right. As Peter says in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So God's timetable is different from ours. We also learn that trust, that faith, doesn't have to be perfect to be acceptable. Abraham didn't get everything right in those 25 years while he was waiting for, to receive the promise. He lied about his wife. He took a concubine to help God out. He questioned God again and again. You've given me no children. How will I inherit the land? Believing God's promise doesn't mean that you never question it. It doesn't mean that you never doubt. The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is unbelief. It's quite possible to trust God and have doubts at the same time. Clearly that was true for Abraham. So if you have doubts... Do what Abraham did. 
Take them to God. Talk to him about it. Tell him what it is that's troubling you. He's not threatened by your doubts. And finally, we learn the importance of getting on with life while we're waiting for God to keep his promise. Can you imagine if if Abram had said, well, God gave me a promise. I'm just going to sit here and wait for that promise to come true before I do anything else. But he didn't. He trusted God would meet him and redirect him as he went about his life. So he, he raised sheep and goats. He traveled around the countryside. He became very successful, all while waiting for God to act. So don't put your life on hold just because you believe God has given you a promise. When the time comes, he'll know where to find you. As Paul says, we're all sons and daughters of Abram if we trust God as he trusted God. God has a plan. We can see that plan unfolding in the promises he makes to Noah, Abraham, the Israelites, David. Promises that eventually become focused in Jesus. Let's trust him that he knows what he's doing and that in his own good time he will bring his plans to fruition and keep all of his promises. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are a promise-keeping God. You are the promise-keeping God. Lord, that when you say you're going to do something, you keep your promise. You may not necessarily keep it on our time scale, and we sometimes we struggle with that. We may not necessarily see it the way that you see it. We struggle with that. Sometimes we doubt. But Lord, in our heart of hearts, we know that you are a promise-keeping God. And that when you make a promise, you will keep it. As you kept the promise to Abraham, Lord, we trust you that you will keep the promise that you have given us as we put our faith in Jesus that we will walk with you and live with you in eternity. Thank you for those promise, for that promise, Lord. Lord, thank you that we can trust you and that we have Abraham as a, an example of what it means to trust you, complete with all the stumbles and sidetracks. And Lord, we want to pray this morning also for those who are now coming out of um, out of lockdown in various, in, here in Turkey, various other parts of the world, Lord, help us. Give us wisdom to know what to do, because it's very confu- very confusing. You know, what can we do? What can't we do? What is safe? What is risky? Uh, we have each of us has different levels of risk resilience, Lord. So help us know what the right response is. Lord, we pray for. Families who have been really stressed over this time, that they'd be able to get some relief from that stress. Lord, we pray for those who perhaps have fallen back into um, bad habits, um, destructive habits through this time. That as they get more freedom and interaction with people, there'd be the opportunity to have some healing of that and some uh, regain control over those things. Lord, we 
pray for Zeki with his numbness down uh, the one side, Lord, that you would touch him and heal him. Lord, we pray for Mary as, yeah, she's trying to figure out how to run uh, pre the preschool and she's concerned for safety. Lord, just give her wisdom and grace as she tries to run her, do her job, Lord. Lord, we pray for uh, Catherine as uh, her, um, her surgery went, so, went well and we are praying for uh, just her bone would be regenerated, Lord. Lord, we pray for countries around the world where the virus is still going strong. Pray particularly for Brazil, Lord, as it seems to be just totally out of control there. Lord, we pray that you would you would give wisdom to those making decisions, that we do what is good for the people and for safety. Lord, we pray for the Mosaic ministry as it moves forward in terms of uh, raising funds and purchasing land and all that stuff in Canyalta. Lord, uh, there's a promise that you've, a vision that you've given to James, Lord, and we pray that we would be able to see that vision, that promise come to fruition, Lord. We trust you for that, that vision to come to fruition. Thank you, Lord, for your grace to us in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.